Thanks, you guys. It's a good night so far. I'm excited. Love worshiping with you guys. It's good to see you all. So um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to start off with. We're going to open up with our verse for tonight, chapter 11, verse 6. If you guys want to throw it up on the screen, I'll wait for that. Get that up there. How you all doing? Good? Anyone doing great? Hey, cool. Got some great, great people in here. That's awesome. All right, let's open up with Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's open up with the word of prayer. God, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, that you call us to a great faith. You call us, Lord, to run a race. Not running on our own, but running, Lord, with you providing for us every step of the way. I pray that tonight, God, you would speak clearly, truly, that you'd humble our hearts, that you'd meet our needs, you'd give us encouragement, you'd give us correction by your kindness, by your spirit. We love you, God. We give you this night. I ask that you'd fill me so that I'd be able to deliver the word that you've given. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in our momentum series, so we're looking at heroes of the faith, and we're asking the question, what kept these men and women going? And it's a new year, so my dad, Pastor Rob, had this idea of let's start off the year right by looking at heroes of the faith and what motivated them to follow Christ. So last week, Pastor Jamie led with Abraham. He taught on the theme of running with grace. Tonight, we're looking at the story of Samuel, and I've titled the message, Running with Devotion. So to start off with, just going over the story of Samuel, I, I grew up reading the stories in the Old Testament, and I just honestly fell in love with the character of Samuel. To me, like I always pictured him as kind of like the Gandalf of the Old Testament, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, but rereading the story recently, I've realized he was much more like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the Old Testament. Some of you guys are like, you've lost me. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep the Star Wars references uh, quiet for tonight. But the story of Samuel starts with a woman named Hannah. And Hannah was barren. She could not have any kids. And her husband had another wife. And that wife had lots of kids. And she would tease Hannah and make fun of Hannah. And Hannah was just distressed. or distressed Because in this culture, it was such a big deal to have kids. And not being able to have kids, it was like this mark of shame on her entire life. And so Hannah comes to the temple and she's just begging. She's, she's pouring out her heart to God. Please provide for me. Please give me a child. And there's a priest there named Eli. And Eli gets annoyed, you know, he hears her crying and he's like, what is this woman crying about? And he comes out and he sees her and her humility and her heart. And in the book of 1 Samuel, it accounts that he reaches out to her and basically says, you know, hey, let me pray for you that God would bless you. And in her prayers, Hannah prays, God, if you would just bless me, I would dedicate my son to you. If you give me a son, I would just, for his entire life, he would be dedicated to the temple and the service of the Lord. Now stop right there. That's kind of a recipe 
for disaster if you think about it. Because really, I mean, how many of us want our futures decided by our parents? Like from, you know, the, the, before we're even born to have your entire life mapped out. We live in America and in a very individualistic culture where, you know, it's all about our dreams and our vision for our life. How many of you guys would be excited just knowing that, you know, when, when you were, you know, not even born yet, your mom made a promise to a priest somewhere about what your life was going to be like. But here's the thing with Samuel. Samuel actually fulfills that promise. He lives out the vision that God had given his mom in that moment of desperation. You see, Samuel was a young boy who was raised under the roof of a corrupt priest. Eli was not the best priest. He tried, but he wasn't fully devoted to the Lord. And so often Eli would look the other way when it came to sin. You see, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, those guys were sketchy. Um, these were pastors' sons who were sketchy pastors' sons. They slept with women in the congregation. They stole from people in the congregation. It was not a good situation to be in. And yet Samuel's in this situation. He's living in this home as a young boy with an apathetic priest father and then his two adopted priest brothers who are just sinning. And he remains pure. He remains dedicated, devoted. He goes on to live a life marked by purity, marked by dedication. He becomes the last judge of Israel and the first major prophet. He's there for the anointing of Israel's first king, Saul. God used Samuel to select David, the best human king, that Israel had besides Jesus. Um, he served as the advisor to the king, the prophet to the people. He preached what God told him and never compromised. And by the time of Samuel's death of old age, it says that all of Israel mourned. They were just moved with just this feeling of, oh, we've lost one of the great ones because he was such a huge spiritual influence on their life. Now, how did he get there? What motivated him? Well, tonight we're looking at the theme of devotion devotion. That was what drove Samuel. That is what motivated him. Tonight, we're going to see from the life of Samuel what it means to be devoted to our Lord. And it's going to reveal some important influences and some important principles for us as Christ followers who are also called to be devoted. Are you with me? Okay, let's jump into it. We're going to look at, for Samuel, what it meant to be devoted. I think the first thing we see in Samuel's life is that devotion is answering the call. Devotion is answering the call. Now, Samuel, you know, his mom promises him to the Lord. Guess what? He's born now, and now he has been promised to the Lord. So his mom raises him for a few years, teaches him the way of the Torah, teaches him about Yahweh, teaches him about the stories of Moses and the Israelites and this great story that God has been telling. So Samuel, from an early age, he's got a good mom, a good follower of the Lord. She's been in, he's been infused with this knowledge and this story. And now one day she drops him off at the front door of the temple and says, all right, son, see you later. Now you belong to the church. Like now you are going to live in the church and take care of the church. He was a young boy in the tabernacle. He was basically an errand boy and he would do various tasks to serve and help out. He was basically an unpaid intern, basically, uh, which makes me think of some of the awesome interns we've had here over the years. And, you know, Samuel's living with Eli. Our interns usually end up living with Rob Nash, uh, who is a much better priest than Eli. Um, he's in New Zealand right now with my dad. Say a prayer for him and my dad. They're doing great stuff in New Zealand. But for for Samuel, I want to ask you the question, do you think this life was easy? 
Like, do you think being just born and raised in the church and all you do is just serve, 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 do you think that's easy? Consider the challenge. Like, would you honestly shape your life off of a promise your mom made to a priest before you were even born? The reality is Samuel could have been like, you know what? (laughs) Like I didn't choose the ministry life. The ministry life chose me. I'm out of here. He could have left. But instead, the amazing thing about Samuel to me is that he embraces his calling. Like he embraces it. Like he fully jumps into it. Samuel's life was one that was marked by obedience. One of the most classic stories of Samuel in his early age is there's this one night where Samuel is in bed sleeping, and he hears someone cry out his name, Samuel, Samuel, come here. And so he's like, oh, it's Eli. So he gets up, and he goes to Eli's room. He's like, Eli, you called for me. Eli's like, what are you talking about? I didn't call for you. Get out of here, Samuel. Samuel's like, oh, okay. So he goes back to his room, goes back in bed. Samuel, come here. And he's like, is this like a test? Like, so, like to see how obedient I am. So he gets up, and he goes to Eli's room. Eli, I'm here. And Eli's like, dude, I'm trying to sleep. I'm like really old. Come on, man. Like, leave me alone. So he goes back, sleeps again a third time. Samuel, come here, come forth. So Samuel comes to Eli. He's like, here I am, Eli. Eli, he starts to realize, whoa, something's up. I'm not calling him. So it's got to be the Lord. So he tells Samuel, hey, listen, Samuel, if you hear that voice again, it's not me. It's the Lord. So you got to say, Lord, here I am. And then whatever he tells you to do, you do it. It's one of these rare moments where Eli actually shows some leadership to Samuel. So Samuel goes back to bed. He hears the voice. Samuel sits up and he goes, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? And this was um, the beginning of the trajectory of Samuel making the choice for himself to obey the Lord. And I love, I love it. There's this brilliant detail in the story where you see His mom, Hannah, was crying out, God, hear me, God, hear me. God finally responds to her, gives her a son. She names him Samuel, which means God heard me. But I love that Samuel finds his identity in himself hearing God. He finds his identity. He says, my name is God heard me, but I want my life to be marked as one who says, God, I hear you. God, speak to me. Now, here's the reality. Here's one of my main points I want you to take away for tonight. Every believer must choose to be a disciple. Let me say that again. Every believer must choose to be a disciple. You have to make that decision for yourself. No one can make that for you. You see, this story of Samuel totally like resonates with me. Like just so much so because I feel sometimes like I have lived in this building for the past 21 years. Um, you know, I grew up in the church. My dad was a youth pastor. He was a church planner in Oregon. He, my parents were missionaries. When I got here to Calvary Vista, I was like the poster child for children's ministry. I was like the king of Bible trivia. I knew like every answer to every question and I was pretty prideful about it. I would let you know how much I knew. I knew every VeggieTale song by heart. I had listened to every episode of Adventures in Odyssey on tape. Um, I had like only listened to Audio Adrenaline and Newsboys growing up. Like I had no idea that like secular music even existed. That was like how sheltered I was. One day I was like driving with my friend in junior high and he was playing the Beatles. And I was like, what is this strange noise? Like (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Like, uh, I went to a private Christian school where my youth pastors were also my teachers. I went on missionary trips. I started serving in ministry when I was in the eighth grade. That's when I picked up my first puppet. Uh, I, I found this lizard puppet, and I named him Iggy. And just, it was, yeah, the rest was history, I guess. And... I became a middle school ministry volunteer at the age of 15, and I have literally not left the youth rooms over there since. (laughs) I've been in there since I was 15. So I can relate to Samuel. But here's the thing. Maybe some of you guys can relate too. Maybe some of you guys grew up in ministry or you've been in ministry a long time. Here's the reality. All that stuff is great. You know, VeggieTales is great. Newsboys is great. Like Ventures and Odyssey. Like that's all great. Like Bible trivia, like children's ministry. It's all great. But none of that stuff equals devotion because devotion is not signified by outward actions or appearances. It's signified by the posture of our heart. And you can do all that stuff and still in your heart, not really be sold out for the Lord and not really be buying into who Jesus is and what he's about. And it's a sad reality that many pastor's kids leave the faith. I have had many friends who were fellow pastor's kids with me who, when they got to, you know, their late teens, early 20s, decided this is not for me. And they walked away and they said, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. That's what we see with Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Like these are pastors, kids, priests, sons. They've, been gro- they've grown up in the tabernacle. They've grown up serving their dad, like walked them through and showed them how to light the lamp and how to sprinkle the oil and all that stuff. He, he showed them the ritual. He showed them, he taught them, but it didn't stick and they didn't fear the Lord and they didn't care. And so it just went nowhere. Now here's the, here's the thing. You see, Samuel was dedicated by his mom, right? In the beginning, baby dedication. Here is my child. I dedicate him to the church. But does that equal, does a baby dedication equal a dedicated future? Is that a promise? Is that a guarantee? No, that's the reality. Like you can be, you can be here in the church like, and be dedicated You can stand up here and and, they can raise you like the Lion King, you know, like Simba. They can do all that, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to follow the Lord. A baby dedication, what that really is, is it's not some kind of mystical, like magical ceremony that like seals a kid and makes sure that they're going to follow Jesus. No, what it is, is it's the community, the church coming together saying, we are coming alongside this baby and we're committing that we are all as the community going to love this baby and point this baby to Jesus and teach this baby. And as this baby grows up in children's ministry and youth ministry, we're going to point them and shepherd them. But in the end, that child will have to make a choice. I want to ask you tonight in your own life, Have you been dedicated or are you dedicated? Have you been in your own life? Have people pushed you and said, oh, you're going to be in ministry and you're going to do all this stuff? In your own heart, have you made a decision that I will follow Jesus? Samuel, he could have left when he became an adult. 85% of teenagers leave the church after high school. 85%. That's, I'm a youth pastor. That's a horrifying statistic that I have to deal with every single day. My class that I went to school with here at this Christian school, when we had a school, it's about that. There's some of us who remain with the Lord, but a lot have left. I was listening to um, a podcast recently. I, I, li- I really like to listen to influences that are outside the church to give me perspective of what people outside the church are dealing with. There was this one guy talking about how he grew up in the church and he, you know, 
was raised in children's ministry, kind of like me. He knew all the songs. And basically, like, he got pulled into ministries at a very young age. He was playing in worship bands. He was uh, singing in worship bands. He was doing all of this stuff. And then when he hit his mid-20s, he was like, I don't even believe this. Like, this isn't even real. Like, what am I doing? And he left. And, and, and now he kind of, like, his posture is like, well, I hope it's true. Like, I hope God's real. I hope Jesus is real. But I'm not really going to, like, live my whole life based around it. Uh, he was saying he has no burden to, like, share his faith. And I was just, I was so broken up listening to him because I was like, man, that's the modern problem with faith. For so many, it's all about the personal, when instead we should be passionate to share the gospel because that's the mission that Jesus gave us to do. From a very young age, it was known it was known that Samuel was dedicated. That was the expectation that people had. People saw Samuel in the church and they said, you know, your mom dedicated you. We all know that. So there was this expectation that he would serve. Now, here's the reality. As a youth pastor, I've seen kids crumble because for 19 years, everyone around them had this expectation that they were going to be this solid, amazing Christian, but no one ever stopped to ask them, how are you actually doing And it was just this expectation that because you were born in the church, because you were raised in the church, because, you know, you've always been in all of these different activities that you're not going to have any doubts or questions or anything. I've seen kids crumble under those expectations. I've seen meltdowns because the reality is we can have all of this stuff. We can have children's ministry, youth ministry, all that stuff. But until it becomes real to the person, until they actually take that step of faith and say, I am not just going to believe that the plane exists, but I'm actually going to step through the door and let the plane take off. That's what we're called to point people towards. And Samuel answered this call. This is what I love about Samuel. This is why Samuel is such an, such an amazing example because Samuel is going through all, all this difficulty of living in this crazy home with all of this sin. And yet he says, I'm going to answer the call of God. I know who I am in Yahweh. I know my identity in the Lord. He called me and I answered. And no matter what Eli's doing or Hophni or Phinehas or my mom or whatever, I know who I am. I am Samuel. I am called by God to serve him and follow him. That's where we need to find our identity. God doesn't have any grandkids. We have to choose. The reality is, like Eli at one time, he's a priest. He followed the Lord with all his heart. His sons did not choose that path. And the sad thing is Samuel... His sons, later on, when Samuel had sons, they didn't choose that path either. They, were, they followed in the footsteps of their step-uncles, basically. So the reality is, for all of us, we have to choose. And for those of us who have kids and grandkids, we have to lovingly continue to point them to making those choices. Now, here's the next thing I want to show you. Devotion is being in the world, but not of it. Devotion is being in the world, yet not of it. So last week we talked about Abraham. He's a great example of God's grace and he made a lot of mistakes. He lied about his wife and he said that his wife was actually a sister to get out of, you know, this thing with the Pharaoh. Uh, He slept with his maid to try to have a kid because he was afraid his wife wouldn't be able to have a kid. He was a guy who gave in to corruption and yet he was driven by grace and he was forgiven by God's grace despite his flaws. It's a great example to us of what God can do through sinners. And yet Samuel, he's a guy, on the other hand, he's depicted as a man who is not a man of compromise. And I'm sure he sinned. Absolutely. Every human being sins. But Samuel's depicted as upright. He obeys. He serves faithfully. Here's the remarkable part about it. 
He manages to do this while being surrounded by other people making mistakes. Think about it. You're, you're this young kid in this environment. You don't know anything about being a priest. And you're looking up to Eli, who's apathetic and doesn't really care. And you're looking up to Hophni and Phinehas, your stepbrothers, and they're abusing their power. They're stealing from people and saying, yeah, this is what priests do. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sheep are being really giving this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go buy a new camel. Like, I don't know. Like what they were, yeah, they didn't have cars. So I almost said Ferrari, but I was like, they don't have that. Um, yeah, they abused their power. They stole from the congregation. They slept with women in the church. This is the environment that Samuel was thrust into. And I think of Hophni and Phinehas, just, man, I heard this story recently about a homeless man. Um, and, and basically this guy is homeless, but he apparently has a ton of money. Like he has all of this family money that's been passed down. And if he would just get clean and get off drugs, it, all this money would be available to him. But because he's addicted to his drug problem, he's missing out on this inheritance. That's these guys. That's, man, Hophni and Phinehas. They've been born into this great inheritance, and yet they're completely missing out on it. And Eli just looks the other way. And Samuel could have done the same. He could have ended up just like Eli, and he could have become burned out and bitter. Man, if anyone would have had the, the opportunity to become burned out and bitter in ministry, it would have been Samuel. You, you want to know how like, his like, childhood ended, basically? Um, Hophni and Phinehas, they rebel against their dad. There's a war. The Philistines come in. Hophni and Phinehas, like, they run to the temple, and they're like, we got to grab the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out into battle, and then we'll win. And Eli's like, no, that's a really bad idea. We're not supposed to do that. And they're like, you know, forget you, dad. We're just going to do whatever we want. And they grab the Ark of the Covenant. They go out. The sons get murdered by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant gets captured. Samuel and Eli are standing on a wall. The scout comes up and says, Eli, your sons have been murdered and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Eli basically like has a heart attack, falls off the wall and dies right in front of Samuel. Like that's like, hey, welcome to adulthood, Samuel. Like that's what he had to deal with. If anybody would have had the choice to walk away from ministry completely because of the bad things that happened in the church, it would have been Samuel. And yet he's devoted because he finds his identity not in the people around him. He's not defined by the mistakes of the people around him. He's defined simply in who he is and who God has called him to be. Samuel served corrupt priests. He eventually served a corrupt king, Saul, and yet he did not allow himself to compromise. And the, the crazy thing is at the end of his life in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel's giving his last speech to the people. And he's like, hey, so I've tried my best for you people you know, have I ever done you wrong? Have I ever lied to you? Have I, have I ever stolen from you? And the people look at him and they're like, no, it's Samuel. Like, you've been so gracious. You've been so kind. You've never cheated us. You, you've always told us the truth. You've always spoken God's word to us. Thank you, Samuel. Like, that was his legacy. The, the people of Israel looked at Samuel and they said, we've got corrupt priests. We've got corrupt kings. But Samuel, your devotion speaks words to us. Samuel is like this early picture of Christ because Christ was born into the darkness and yet he was committed to the light. And it's not just something that Jesus does. Remember, he told his disciples, I call you to be in the world, but not of it. To be inside the darkness, but to not give in to the darkness. 
And God can accomplish so much with somebody who's sold out. Again, not someone who's perfect. We've got these, there's certain Bible characters like Daniel or Samuel where like literally there's like nothing bad recorded about them. So you can like read it with a false lens of like, oh, they never sinned, they're perfect. No, they, the biblical authors just chose not to present that side to you. I'm sure they got angry. I'm sure they cut people off in camel traffic or like, I don't know. I, I'm sure they did those things. They got in the flesh, they sinned but their lives were marked by obedience and devotion and dedication. And that's why we get to see such a good side of them. Samuel led a revival in his time because he was devoted. The third thing I want to look at is devotion is obedience in the face of difficulty. Devotion is obedience in the face of difficulty. Now, what was Samuel's job? Go back to that scene. He's a little boy. He's in his bed. God speaks, Samuel, I've got this plan for you. What is it, God? I want you to be a speaker. I want you to speak my words. Oh, gee, God, that sounds great. Here's what I want you to do. Go to Eli and tell him he's a sinner. (laughs) Go to your boss. (laughs) Go to the guy who's letting you live free rent and board and all this stuff and go tell him that he's a sinner. That's, That's his first assignment. God says to Samuel, go and tell Eli what his sons are doing and that he needs to get on his game and stop slacking off and like actually be a priest. That's his first assignment. Like think about how uncomfortable that is. Think about the the risk involved for this young little boy to go to this priest and tell him he is in the wrong. That's, that's intense. Like it didn't say that God gave him super courage. God just was like, Hey little kid, like go do this. It's intense. How many of you guys are wired to, you know, when you're in your community or your family or your friends, you know, there's somebody who's in sin. Like how many of you guys are just like, oh, I can't wait to like go confront them on that. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to be amazing. Like, is anybody like that? If you're like that, like here's me speaking God's truth to you. Like you, you, need, you need help. Like that's, that's not good to be that way, to just constantly want to point out people's sin. For most of us, it's something we don't like to do because it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to point out other people's sin. It's, it's frustrating. It's, it's like, you don't know how you're going to be received. Some of you guys who are parents, you know this. It's a battle. You have to pick these battles to think, when am I going to tell these kids what they're doing? Because I want them to like me. I want them to, you know, actually be able to come down to dinner and like sit at the table and like smile at me. So you're always having to pick your battle. Some of you guys have siblings or relatives or even parents, friends, where it's just like there's sin and you don't know what to do. I... Man, I remember, man, I I used to be a junior high pastor and junior high kids are so sensitive. Just like, man, really, really sensitive. And I remember there'd be times where like, I'd be like best friends with a kid, you know, like we're going out and we're getting lunch and we're hanging out, you know, and just everything's great. And then this is around the time like social media first came out. So they're like posting things. And sometimes it was great, but sometimes it'd be like things that are a little bit inappropriate or just rude or mean to other people. And I just remember me and my wife would be like, hey, buddy, like, that, that post that you posted, like may, maybe not, like maybe just don't because it's kind of mean to that person. The next thing I know, like I'm disowned. I'm like blocked on social media and they're like, I'm never talking to you again. And they've told all their friends that I'm a, a terrible person. And, you know, but here's the thing. I do it too. I, I remember when I was a counselor in the youth ministry, the youth pastor, Trevor, uh, me and my wife saw a movie. It was a scary movie. 
Let's just say that. It was, it was scary. And <laughs> it was frightening. And we went and we saw it and we posted on Facebook. Oh, this movie was so good, you know? And he texted us and was like, hey guys, you're counselors. Like the kids look up to you. It's probably not good for you to be like representing that movie. And we were like, oh, Pastor Trevor, like, sure, we'll listen to you. But then like in our own conversation, we're like, man, like how legalistic, that's crazy. Like we all do it. We all can be immature in this way. We all, when we're confronted, can be frustrated because we're sensitive. No one likes to be told that they're wrong. And most of us don't want to tell other people that they're wrong. My old youth pastor, uh, Evan Wickham, who teaches over at Park Hill Church now in San Diego, he was teaching a New Year's Eve message and he just busted out some amazing gold quotes that I'm going to leave with you right now. So let's throw up the first one. I, I love this. This is what he says. When biblical authority confronts our own authority, our personal stories must bend to God. That's the thing. The Bible, Jesus, God, those things are our authority. But we don't like that because we like being our own authority. And we, oftentimes, we look at other people and say, oh, this is their, this is their problem. Like, yeah, they need to have God as their authority. But I think all of us, myself, struggle with this. On a weekly basis, there are things in our life that we think we have together and God is constantly showing us in the word, man, you don't have it together. I don't like that. I don't know if you like that, but I don't like that. But it's important for us to realize that God is the authority and he loves us and he wants our best and he wants us to bend our will to his authority. Uh, look at the, the next quote. This is really good. He says, Jesus did not set himself up to be that really supportive friend who affirms everything that we do. He's Lord. Like sometimes that's how we think about Jesus. We're, we love when we feel like Jesus has our back. You know, when, you know, Jesus is sitting there like, yeah, you got it, man. There's grace. But, but, you know, what about when we have a friend who loves Jesus and they say, hey, because I'm your friend, I need you to know that biblically, honestly, man, I, I think you're wrong here. Oh, that's so rough. Because we like seeing ourselves honestly as victims. We really do. We like seeing ourselves as victims of judgment from others. Think about the story of the woman caught in adultery, right? So who's the victim? It's the woman. Yeah, obviously. Who's the villains? It's the Pharisees, and they're coming and saying, you did this thing, and the law says this, and the law says we should stone you. Who's the hero of the story? Jesus, because he gets to come in and say, hey, all you guys, you're sinners too. Get out of here. And then he turns to the lady, and he says, hey, you're forgiven, right? It's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. But here's the thing. What don't we usually focus on in that story? the fact that the woman was actually in sin. We don't ever really think about that. At least I don't. And does Jesus look at her and say, you go, girl. No one can judge you. You do you. Be yourself. I'm behind you 100% because I'm Jesus. <laughs> no, what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. Gently and firmly, he's saying to her, I love you. I forgive you, but you've got to stop because it's killing you. And I love you and I want you to live. The truth sets us free. Um, here's another quote from Evan's message that I really liked. He says this. This is so good. We want to be people who have the courage to confront with truth. Of course we want to do this in love. Only love. There's no place to be a jerk in church. Right? Amen? The priority is love. But listen, you're not actually loving people if all you're doing is baptizing their opinions and calling it truth. So good. So encouraging. Right? I think so. 
because I can do that. I, I, I have my own way of thinking and I want people to just look at it and put a spiritual twist on it and say, oh, it's from God, but is it? A lot of times it's not when we look at what Jesus actually says in the Bible. Listen, I'll tell you this, and I wish I had more time to go into this, but honestly, some of the best things in my life have happened after a friend confronted me about my sin. And there's, a, there, there's that initial defensiveness, and I wish there wasn't. I wish I could say I'm just perfect, and people come to me and point out stuff, and I'm like, oh, thank you kindly, brother. I will go meditate on that. But no, I mean, there's that initial like, oh, I don't like that. It's uncomfortable, but it's good. It's like the medicine. I mean, is the needle great that the doctor pushes in? No, but it's what we need. We need to see our wrong. I want to encourage the younger generation in here, or, you know, if you're in the older generation, you want to receive this too, fine. But let me just speak to the millennials in the room for a second. Uh, I'm from the older millennials. Let me talk to all of, all of you millennials. Be more open. Just be more open. Our generation lives by the motto of no one can judge me. It's not true. People are judging you all the time. They're going to anyway. And they're going to judge you by the content of your life. And if you're following Jesus, you should be open to mentorship, to people coming alongside and saying, hey, like if someone comes to you and they're like terrible, like and just like just trashing on you, that's one thing. But if someone comes to you and is like, hey, like, I love you, and because I love you, I'm pointing out this thing. Just listen. Just be quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, the Bible says, right? Open yourself up. Because here's the thing. Devotion means obedience, but we can't obey if we're not listening. Let's move on to, well, actually, I'm going to stay here for a minute. I'm going to talk about uh, Samuel. There's this epic scene in the book of Samuel. He's older now. He's an older man. He's serving under King Saul. And Saul is just disobeying God. He's corrupt. He's doing all this stuff and just totally trying to run the kingdom without God's help. And Samuel tells him the hard truth. He's like, Saul, you're messing up here. You need to know that God, you're on thin ice, man. And you need to repent. You need to turn to God. And Saul's like, no, just bless me. Just tell me I'm doing okay, Samuel. Just tell me, just tell me what I want to hear. And Samuel's like, I can't do that. You got to repent. And Saul grabs the cloak of Samuel and tears it. And Samuel looks at Saul and it's this epic scene. He's like, Saul, just as you, just as you have torn my coat, God's going to tear that kingdom away from you. That's an epic scene, but think about how much guts that takes to say to the king who can chop your head off at any moment. And it says later on, when God is done with Saul, in, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, God says, Samuel, go and anoint David. And uh, Samuel's response is, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. See, the, there's, there's fear that comes with speaking the truth, right? There's fear because it's our human weakness. But I love what Oswald Chambers says. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you're going to fear everything else. We need to be willing to speak the truth. And here's the reality. The reality is we need prophetic voices. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about people who predict the future. That's a part of prophecy. But primarily, prophecy in the New Testament is speaking a word that God has given you for the church or for someone else. 
We need prophetic words. We need people constantly in our life speaking. You need to be speaking prophetic words. You need to be going to the Lord and saying, God, what word do you have for me to speak to myself, to my family, to my friends? Like, what can I say to encourage? What can I say to correct? Like, the Spirit wants to speak through all of us, not just the people up here who are paid to do it. All of us are called to speak. And we like it when those voices speak to them, you know, the sinners out there. But what about when prophetic messages are for us? When they're directed towards us, how do we receive them? I'm going to throw one up right now. This is uh, Russell Moore. Um, He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. That is a long title. That's cool. I I don't know how you fit that on a plaque. Um, But here's what he says. Russell Moore. He says, not to be confused with Roy Moore. This is Russell Moore. Okay. American evangelicalism is old and sick and weak and doesn't even know it. We are bored by what the Bible reveals as mysterious and glorious, and we're red in the face upset about what hardly matters in the broad sweep of eternity. We clamor for the kind of power the world can recognize while ignoring the very power of God that comes through Christ and him crucified. We've traded in the Sermon on the Mount for the slogans on our cars. We've exchanged Christ the King for Christ the meme. So what's your reaction when hearing that? Is it like defensive? Is it like, you know, you're kind of prickling up and you're like, well, who's this guy to say it? And why is Aaron quoting him? And, you know, I'm sure that guy has sin. And what does he know? He's not even a Calvary guy. He's a Baptist. So he doesn't know anything like, you know, like, is that our mindset? Is that our mentality? Could it be that we don't hear the things that God is trying to tell us to those who have the courage to say it because we won't let down our walls? And guys, everyone has walls. Christians and non-Christians. No non-Christian wants to hear the gospel. It's offensive. It's offensive to hear that you're a sinner, but it's that necessary medicine they need. And we don't need to be jerks about the gospel. We don't need to go beat people over their head with the gospel because the gospel is already offensive enough. I love what Joseph Parker says. He says, we've lost the proper vocation of Christianity. What is the proper vocation? It's to save men, not to please them, not to flatter them, but to save them. It's so good. Another thing that uh, Evan said in the message was we need to partner courage with humility. And here's the reality. There's no place for pride in this. If there's any sense, if God's calling you to speak to someone that you love and share, there's, there can be no holier-than-thou attitude. If you've got that, don't, don't even open your mouth. I love what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, 35. It says, Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king. See, you can't, I, I say in the ministry, you can't have passion without also having compassion. If you have, if you have passion without any compassion, you're just going to be a bulldozer as you're trying to serve the Lord in your family, in your life, in your workplace. Your passion must be coupled with compassion because God loves people. And anyone that you see in sin, first remember you're also a sinner saved by grace. And second, remember that God loves them and their sin is something that is bondage that God wants to free them of. Have your heart break for the people in your life who sin. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and we're going to close in a minute. I've just got a few more things to say. The last point for tonight is that devotion is a willingness to decrease so that God might increase. In the whole story of Samuel, and go read it for yourself. Go, go read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Follow his story. As you go through, you'll see that Samuel's intentions are clear. He wants to do whatever God wants. And if you think about it, Samuel would have been a great high priest. 
He would have been a great king, but he always is the background guy. Like he's never front and center. He's never the leading man. He's always the background guy doing what God has called him to do. And yet, while the people out in the front of the stage, Eli, his sons, Saul, even David, messed up and failed, Samuel was faithful and consistent and devoted. And he defined himself as, I am a follower of Yahweh, a servant of Yahweh. Samuel realized that satisfaction does not come from chasing our story, but through pursuing God's glory. We need to see ourselves as part of the epic story of God. Because listen, for every one of us here, God is always calling us to decrease, which is hard because you can decrease and decrease, but you're going to reach a certain point where you're like, God, this is, I've decreased too much. I've faded too much in the background. But listen, the more that we decrease and the more Jesus gets to take the front and center stage in our life, it's amazing things happen. Decrease, decreasing isn't losing our identity. It's gaining our true identity. It's death to the lie of who we think we are. And it's birth, it's coming alive to our true identity in Christ, realizing that we're called to serve him. And Samuel could have rejected this path, but instead he embraced God for what he had for him. I'm just going to tell one more story um, really quick. So Star Wars, right? The Last Jedi, anyone see that? Yeah? So I went, I went, and I was with a couple high school boys, and we're sitting there, and it comes on, the trailer comes on, everything's amazing, this great music starts swelling, and then all of a sudden we realize that there's no words. And we're thinking like, oh, is this like a weird like foreign film? Is this like about like the experience of like a deaf girl? Like there was this girl sitting in a jail cell talking. She was moving her lips, but no words were coming out. We're like, what is going on? All the trailers start playing. Music, but no words. Star Wars starts playing. John Williams, amazing score comes in, but there's no words. And me and like four other super fans are like getting up, like running to find the manager. Like it's Star Wars, but there's no words. We were, because here's the thing. The music was beautiful, but without the words, the message was lost. And it's, I mean, it'd be great to sit there and listen to John Williams' music, but without the message, you lose the plot. We're called to be people of the story. We're called to live our life, not just through the music of our deeds, but speaking words of God. Letting our voices speak the things that God has put on our hearts. I think for some of you guys tonight, as we get into this worship, I think I'm just going to leave this out here for you guys. I think some of you guys maybe need to rededicate your life. It's a new year. Maybe you need a new start. Maybe for you, you've spent a lot of your life having people dedicate you, you know, sign you up to volunteer for things or, you know, someone drag you to church and you've been coming and just because someone else expects you to. And you're missing out because you're called to be a part of the story. You've got the music, but you don't have the words. You're called to not just read the words, but commit them to your heart and say, this is not just a book that was written 2,000 years ago. This is the story of the history of the human universe, and I'm called to be a part of it. Just like Samuel had his part to play, you all have a part to play. You all have a ministry. You're all called to serve the Lord. Not just Samuel, not just people on staff of the church. You're all called to follow and serve. So if you're here, I'm not even doing like an altar call for new salvations. If you're here and you want to rededicate your life and just say simply, God, this year, I want to serve you with my whole heart. I want to realize my identity. I want to realize I'm called and I want to give myself to you. I want to dedicate myself. I want to devote myself. 
that's what I'm calling you to do. If the Lord leads you, if the Spirit leads, just, just come up here um, and just stand right here in the front row and just, just worship. And then I'm going to come out. I'm going to pray for you after that. And I'm going to pray for myself because I need a fresh feeling of that, to be honest. I need a fresh dedication. I need to look at this year and say, God, this year is not going to be about me. It's not going to be about what I want to do. It's not going to be about my story. It's not going to be about my dreams. It's going to be about what you want, how you're leading, how you're guiding. Amen? Let's, let's pray as we worship. God, fall over this place right now. Fill us with your spirit. We give these closing moments to you. We surrender to you. We lift our voices to you. We dedicate ourselves. We devote ourselves, Lord. This year, we want it to be a year of following you, not just reading devotionals, but actually looking at your words as commandments, as teachings, as words to live by. Not just praying and saying, God bless me, but praying and saying, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How can I serve you with my life? We love you, God give this time to you in your name. Amen.